Well, lucky I have been playing a bit, but I haven't been playing, you know, with the hardcore mindset. Right. Um, oh, was his debate camp in person? It was. It was. Okay. He, he was up at me. University of Massachusetts Boston. Oh, so Britt, you didn't hear you. You haven't heard the story, but but Mike and I have both heard it uh, like secondhand now. Uh, he was at camp with a bunch of kids that went to Horace Mann and they knew Mike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the way the way Liam found that out was they found out that Liam was into Pokemon because he still logged on to do the on guard tournament. OK. The invitational or whatever. And, and they were like, oh, you're into Pokemon. Do you know this guy, Mike <laughs> And Liam's like, "Oh, yes, I do." <laughs> and uh, 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 Britt, you will you will laugh. The thing that apparently I don't know how much Liam had told you besides that, Mike. But yeah. apparently, what they said was the defining characteristic of of Mike Fouché's classroom was people would walk into the class and not know who the teacher was. <laughs> 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 That's really funny. He did not tell me that. That's great. <laughs> that was that was the story that he told me. Yeah, uh, that's funny. It didn't sound like uh, any of my specific students were there, but um, they were friends with kids that I had in class. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's pretty fun. He didn't tell me how they found out either. That's even better that like they just saw him playing Pokemon and they initiated exactly uh, there was this teacher that we know played pokemon (laughs) yeah yeah they were like we know a guy who plays pokemon (laughs) that's he was our teacher and like i i think the second he said that liam like liam's like i already know who you're gonna say yeah 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 too funny it's in my repertoire every single bar is hard spitting fire like i'm the human version of taurus welcome to the trash lunch podcast we're back we're better than ever uh, vacations are in the past, except for the upcoming vacation after the Pokemon World Championship. Um, we are sponsored by Channel Fireball, which is secretly TCG Player. We're going to have more information about that probably soon. But TCG Player, you know it. They, uh, they're fantastic, uh, and they're slowly taking over the world. And we're participating in that. Um, I didn't even check to see if we get any new five-star reviews. But you should still leave one, and then the next pod, we'll cover it extensively there's too much stuff to talk about for worlds. Uh, um, let's jump uh, right in. Where where do you want to get us started, Britt? I don't know. I guess I can start with some complaints um, <laughs> in that, or maybe the better way to frame it is, at least for me personally, I'm not really feeling too bad that I'm I'm, I'm not prepping for worlds. The format, I think, is another case that we've run into before, where I do think it's a very good format but I don't think it's fun. Um, and yeah, I would just like, oh, would I, do I really want to play some Arceus and Teleon mirrors or would I do, rather do almost anything else? And it's <laughs> going to be the latter. Like, and, you know, we've hit a lot of these points over time, but I, I feel like it just really coalesces with that deck in conjunction with, with Arceus. Or at least I was having a good, a good conversation with, with one of my friends the other day that I'm just like, I'm ready for rotation. I don't know if I can handle another year of Inteleon. Like, and maybe maybe that's scrubby like a scrubby opinion like that just like it's it's too much you have too much agency or, or what have you but like in combination with Arceus it's just like boring I think you're you're just your whole deck is in your hand the entire time like I don't know I just think of a lot of formats where it wasn't you know your beats are just so like telegraphed right like it's just the only kind of uncertainties of playing Arceus and Teleon are just like is my hand gonna get disrupted or not um 
but otherwise it's just like, oh, here's time for cheer. And I've, you know, my whole deck is in my hand. I don't ever struggle. And just thinking about these other formats where a lot of matchups were like more dynamic, you know, there's thinking on the fly and things like that. Of course, that's still true. You know, I'm not trying to say that this is never the case for any of these decks, any of these matchups, but just like, I don't know. It just feels like a lot of the matchups just seem very solved, like it's just on paper. And then because consistency is, is so good, it's just like a flow chart almost. And then again, like I said before, the variables are just how'd the morning go? Like things like that, you know, compared to um, at least just, just talking strictly of like Inteleon versus Inteleon, like things get interesting when you're playing Inteleon versus Biberol and, and so on. But yeah, I mean, at the very least, I learning the Inteleon, RCS Inteleon mirror is just not fun. It's very yeah, I, I kind of imagined where we'd start the conversation today would be like, how different it is, is world shaping up to be that different than NAIC? Or is it just going to be like, run it back? I mean, as a average player, I I suspect that Isaiah, John, Raul, I suspect that group is probably has some spice. Like whether it's just two cards versus an entire deck, like the the former seems certainly much more likely. Um, but yeah, like uh, I, I always cash my opinions and, and sort of ending and just like, but I'm not very good, so I have faith in the better players, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> But for, for the most part, yeah, I don't think so. Like, it doesn't seem like we've had uh, the ghost set long enough now that, um, I mean, maybe we're overlooking Mewtwo, but <laughs> like, it doesn't seem like it's really done anything. It's just like Charizard is an interesting factor, and that's about it, I think. Yeah. And in, with Charizard, I feel like I've seen a, a handful of similar tweets from different people about Charizard saying, something to the effect of am I not playing Charizard right or is it just mediocre um <laughs> and I think that's kind of the sentiment of a lot of people that have tried the very strict Charizard based decks I know I've played around with it quite a bit and I often find myself not being able to win games for this reason or that reason and I kind of have the same question I'm like is my list does my list just need to be a little bit better or is it or does it just not bet does it not matter? Like is Charizard just never going to be at the same level as some of these other decks? And if that's the biggest inclusion from the set, well then I I would kind of go back to your question, Brent, and say worlds will probably be very similar to the NAIC meta. Um the inclusion of the Mewtwo V Union as a known quantity could make things different but i don't know if it'll make things different so much in terms of the decks as it will just kind of and Britt, what you said was perfect like maybe just changing a few cards and being more intentional about being able to beat mewtwo v union not mewtwo v star <laughs> yeah I, I see this like rcs mewtwo and i i feel like oh somebody wanted uh, uh to like win the rcs mirror i guess but like i don't know that that's some super is that the next super deck hard to imagine it seems pretty good i haven't tried it myself but i've seen it yeah i've seen it be played in much more increasing quantity it has some cool aspects of the mutube union stall deck right in that you can just chill 
for a while and maybe like if you're playing aggress I, did you do you guys remember the match the finals match of azul versus Premoat at our regionals um azul was playing glissopod garb and pram was playing zora rock i think and azul ended up winning azul. one of them ended up winning the game I don't remember who. <laughs> One of them ended up winning the game by constantly guzmaing something up and stalling and winning the game. But it only got to that point because the other person, because that person kind of like ran them out of resources, essentially. Um, and I feel like that is kind of how the Mewtwo V Union Arceus deck can play, but it's doing it a little bit more intentionally, right? In, in that it has this secondary game plan that it should always kind of keep in mind. It shouldn't be its primary game plan, um, but it can kind of fall back into healing a ton, a ton, a ton, and just uh, kind of playing the war of attrition, which is pretty cool. The other, the thing that I really think is cool about the deck is that it always starts Arceus, right? Because um, it doesn't play any other basics. So that's pretty sweet. Now the downside is I have played against it and they've mulliganed like 12 times. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you definitely see the like people posting screenshots of like 20 mulligans, like yeah. uh completely insane. Have um, you guys seen speaking of RCS Intellion, um, have you guys seen Natalie's new article that came out yesterday? I think I saw that it came out, but I hadn't read it yet. It was the so, high points. So I'm in I'm kind of interested in her list. It's kind of a callback to the OG Arceus Intellion list that ran Zigzagoon. So it runs a choice belt, a Zigzagoon to be a little bit more aggressive. It plays a quick shooting, but the bigger consistency bump that I, that she talks about a lot in the article is she runs for capture energy. And so that's a way to smooth out your starts. And Britt, I agree with everything you were saying before about Arceus Intellion kind of you have access to pretty much everything throughout the game. The games are very roadmap for you. There's not like there's decisions, but there's not interesting decisions to make. Um, but the one way that Arceus Intellion can lose pretty easily is if it, you know, has a very slow start. Basically, if it doesn't start with Arceus plus energy, it can be a little rough. And so I think the four capture energy was a, a vehicle to try to remedy that. It gives you the energy and it gives you an extra basic, which seems kind of cool. I don't know if the aggressive strategy is just okay right now because it's just different than what the norm is or if the double Sharon, double big charm is better because she only plays one big charm, one Sharon. She had to you know cut some stuff to fit the more aggressive things. But... I also wouldn't be surprised if that kind of becomes a popular choice going into Worlds as well as a slight variation from what has become such a such a homogeneous list. Um, it's funny, I was thinking about this the other day, Arceus and Teleon in the last format had much more variety than it does now, right? It had, there was the Beedrill, there was the Dark Package, there's the Straight Water Package, which is pretty much all that we see now. Um, it's really interesting that we got a new set with more cards and the variations on this deck basically went away. 
did you see uh um just uh, in like the last hour grant manley posted his list from uh the carolina series it's it's a charizard deck right uh yeah well it's it runs radiant charizard <laughs> if that's the definition of charizard deck then it is a charizard deck okay oh interesting okay so he has bibberol in there as well so it's like an intellion line with bibberol and then and then it, it, he doesn't have the cards uh displaying but he has a slow poke and a slow bro yeah 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 and he's got clarion zapdos and the Rowlet. I don't know if like the Rowlet Birdkeeper package makes that much sense. I've mostly played with Irida in this uh, type of deck, and Irida is really, really good. Right, right. You're ju- you're just grabbing uh, Intellion pieces and then getting whatever card you want, plus getting another card. Yeah, uh, it seems like it'd be really good. Yeah, I don't really know why. I, like Rowlet doesn't. I mean, I guess like you're just trying to keep up in the prize race against Palkia and Arceus. So you're just playing Rallet to kill a Sobble. I don't know. Maybe I'll give it a, give it a shot. Seems cool. I feel like the, I mean, the interesting challenge when it comes to all of this, uh, um, uh, Palkia stuff is just like Palkia is super good. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's really, really like it, it trades even a deck like this. I look at it and I think I suspect the trades really well with it. Yeah, it's really easy to attack with Inteleon. If you kill the Manaphy and you end up getting a Greninja double knockout at some point, it's really hard to deal with. Yeah, that's actually been the problem. The biggest problem with the Charizard decks is that I feel like you lose to Palkia more often than you beat it. Yeah, like, like, so he, uh, yeah, I guess he's running double choice belt. Yeah, to try to get like a radiant Charizard KO on a Palkia, but like, how many of those are you gonna get, man? Yeah, <laughs> and because like the big thing is that you just at some point you get Roxanne pathed against both Arceus and Palkia, and then you have to recover from that. So I guess the Bibberol is there for that, but you like need to recover from that immediately, pretty much. Um, the slow bro in in theory helps with that. You don't need that much to then pull off a slow bro, but if you get Roxanne path and you have three prizes, mm, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's still awkward. I don't know, uh, but I'll give it a shot. Yeah. I, I, you know, obviously the, the best thing you can say about it is obviously Grant got a really good result with a like deck we haven't seen before. Yeah. Go Grant. I would be surprised if this is a deck that Grant really wants to play at Worlds. I feel like Agreed. he would probably not play the deck he's most interested in playing at Worlds, even though this is like, you know, it there it's like their championship of the North Carolina series, like cool event, whatnot, but he's not gonna play his world's play. Yes, this is spicy, that. but this is not the spice. Another deck that's been pretty successful recently in the online tournaments has been ice rider with one, one Palkia and Inteleon. So it's kind of a spin-off of Frank's ice rider Palkia deck. We can kind of like cut a little bit of Palkia, added Inteleon back in. I don't know. It doesn't actually seem that much different than the old ice rider deck. So I feel like it's not actually going to be that impactful for worlds, but it's better than people thought, I guess. 
I, you know, I, obviously what's weird, I, that that was actually the deck I thought of when Britt was saying people just tweet out these like totally <laughs> binary opinions on decks. Yeah, it's no, either... I, wasn't, I wasn't talking about John. He was, he's clear. It's like these, it's like, uh, like Chris Franco. I just like, you just said this deck was the worst deck of all time. And then your friend, you're hyping up your friend who just got second place with it in a tournament. Like I'm so confused. Uh, you know, like... Chris Franco's Twitter game, ever since he spent like, the entire Secaucus, New Jersey, like sitting on the front steps of that <laughs> tournament tweeting because he couldn't get into the building. <laughs> he's just been on an absolute Twitter fire. It's, yeah, it's amazing. I think I think he like turned all of his energy into winning Twitter and, <laughs> and has kind of tried to keep it going ever since. It's pretty impressive. Guys, is there other stuff that we should talk about? Yeah, I mean, the other the, one of the other points I had put in the agenda is like, I don't know, like, I, I feel like, I guess I don't have a great sense of this, but if I had to take a stab at it, my sense is that Arceus Inteleon is the best deck and that it's expected to have a good Palkia matchup. Um, but, you know, obviously we we didn't see Arceus Inteleon win in AIC. Azul won with the toolboxy version. And so that's sort of, that's the main sort of quandary I have for the format right now is it's just like, when do you pull the trigger on, you know, your VMAXs and when are you just playing the straight version? And like, what what are you looking to see versus like the other ones? And so like, I would think that naturally that Arceus Intellion has a good matchup against Azul's Arceus. Um, and so does that make Azul's deck a bad player? Or does it sort of go in the other direction that people are coming to beat Arceus and Talion? And so these tool decks are maybe a little bit better. Like, I don't know. Like, I think like Richard Gigas probably has a fine um, Arceus matchup, like Arceus and Talion. Like, I can't imagine. Like, Richard Gigas has like a, you know, consistency issue at the end of the day. I think it has pretty good matchups across the board when it runs well. Um, well but yeah, just, just things like that. So like that matchup is a hundred percent predicated on if they run Dunsparce or not. And a lot of, a lot of the lists have been cutting Dunsparce right, and exactly. a lot have been cutting Manaphy. Like if they don't play Dunsparce, it's good for Reggie. If they do play Dunsparce, it's like unwinnable for Reggie. <laughs> do, well, do they always play? I mean, can't they just kill the Dunsparce? Like do they, they don't always play. I can't imagine they're also still playing Manaphy. That's a good, the, yeah, yeah, right, right. So if they, if they play Dunsparce and Manaphy, it's very bad. If yeah, they play, definitely. right, right, right. If they play Dunsparce, no Manaphy, it's pretty close. And if they don't play either, then it's pretty good for Reggie. I think that's pretty much how it goes. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of these matchups where if you're playing an RC deck and you don't have a plan to get back the Manaphy, if they kill it, it's like problematic, right? Like you, you know, if you if you don't have a plan to recover your Dunsparce or recover your Manaphy, like everybody's got some sort of plan there. Because right. yeah, it's yeah. just like uh, such a thing, you know. Yeah, I mean every every Arceus and Talion deck plays a rod. Some play two rod, but everyone plays one rod. The other thing about the they're red... they're worried of running into like Greninja plays uh, versus Palkia stuff like that. Like you feel yeah. like there's so much pressure to run Manaphy and have a way to recover Manaphy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the one thing that Arceus and Talion can do against Reggie if they play Dunsparce but no Manaphy is they can big charm it and then Sharon's care it. <laughs> uh, which is, but if you're Sharon's carrying the Dunsparce, then you're not Sharon's carrying the Arceus and then you kill the Arceus. And yeah, so I don't know, but it does become 
more interesting. But uh, a lot of the lists have been cutting both of those cards. And for good reason. There's not like a whole lot. Like Reggie's not popular. Or Shifu, it had its kind of like little popularity spree when Jake Gearhart was playing the Blastoise version, but then that didn't really pan out. So there's no Urshifu, there's no Reggie. Galarian Zapdos is very few and far between. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if pe- people that are playing in Worlds do play those cards just because, you know, um, because they want to have some of their bases covered and there's not a huge cost to playing Dunsparce and Manaphy in your deck. Um but Manaphy is also not that good against Palkia because you keep your bench so low anyway. Um, so I would probably, if, if it was me, and I I would probably cut Manaphy before I cut Dunsparce. Like Dunsparce feels like a, a little bit safer. It, it covers more bases, I feel like, um, than, than Manaphy does. Right. I but, mean, I think part of the beauty of showing up with Arceus and Talion particularly like day one is you're like, well, I don't want to lose the jank stuff. Right. Yeah. And like playing, playing uh, Dunsparce is part of don't lose the jank stuff. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like that That's a really good point. Like that's the reason you would play that deck is you're like, I just want to have 50 fifties across the board at least. Right. And it doesn't matter what I'm playing against. I can beat anything because I'm the most consistent deck that can do exactly what I want every single game. Right. Um, you want to talk about Dialga a little bit? Yeah, we're talking about Dialga. I think. Yeah, I want to. I, I want to talk about Dialga, and I also want to talk about like uh, um, uh, a little bit of your take on the day one versus day two plays, and how you think that that those those like opinions might be different, right? Okay. Yeah. Good. So that'll be a good segue. So, um, yeah, I play. I, I had some time this weekend, so. I played in a couple of online events. Shuffle Squad had their tournament where they invited all the top players from the world. Uh, not that many showed up. That's a whole other can of worms that I don't want to get into. But the day, the night before, they had kind of like a day one, quote unquote, or a grinder for right, that LCQ. Event. Yeah. And so I played in that and I got top eight. It was actually kind of funny. Um, it was eight rounds. And... I won the first six and then we wanted to go out (laughs) that night. And so I went to uh, hang out with Kelly and Kelly's friends. And so the seventh round comes up and I'm playing against a Blissey with a mill tank. So I was just like, I can't win. I'll scoop. And then the eighth round, I just ID'd with, because you know they it, we were both guaranteed top eight but it was just really funny like if they if he wanted to play i just would have lost and not made it anyway um but so i played dialga because it's the deck that i think is really fun i find it really fun to play that deck it's extreme i've always really enjoyed combo decks both in both in pokemon and in hearthstone like um you know t- Way back in the day, like 2005 Worlds, I played the Electro DX Dark Tyranitar. Um, you know, I helped, I don't know. I, I've just always really enjoyed combo decks. So uh, this is like the combo deck, I feel like, of the format where it's just all about your first and second turn and your sequencing and making sure that you're playing your cards in the order that maximizes the chance of you getting what you need to do. 
Um, but the cool thing about combo decks also that I really like is you have this game plan, but you also have to know when to deviate from your game plan or do something slightly different. Um, and I think that's really interesting. And I made some really cool plays over these two tournaments that I think people didn't really expect. And so that's that, it's kind of like my rationale for why I want, why I've enjoyed playing Dialga and why I continue to, to play with it. Um, and so I tweaked the list a little bit from our NAIC testing. Uh, I, if, if you remember Xander and I had talked a little bit about the whole Birdkeeper Starly package and the Starly and the Path to the Peak and the Roxanne were there if you go second against Mew and Palkia. And I was just like, let's get rid of all that and let's just go first <laughs> against Palkia. <laughs> that seems like a much better plan. <laughs> um, and so I kind of just played a bunch of better cards, made it a little bit more consistent in the Turbo-ness. Uh, I kept the Birdkeepers though. Birdkeepers are really good just to act as a draw card, but also it resets Zacian. If you need to attack with Zacian, it gets you extra uh, procs on different Mews. Um, you know, sometimes you start a dagger as Zacian and that sucks and gives you an out for that. So uh, the Bird Keeper stayed over Avery and I don't know, everything else is pretty, pretty standard. Uh, I have made some changes since the two tournaments this weekend. I think the two most cuttable cards were the Big Charm and the third Bird Keeper. So I'm kind of playing around with those spots. Uh, right now I'm trying two Poke Gears, which seem okay because then you can help you find a supporter seems pretty good um but i mean there's nothing too notable in any of my games i beat pocky every time i played against it because i went first and again if you go first and you get uh even if like even if they have a great start the best start that they can have basically is setting up a board of two palkia two or three sable and a greninja like that is their ideal board but if you go first and you get boss v-star palkia and then boss ko another palkia you just win the game immediately and i did that a couple times played against lay in uh in like the winning in for one of the tournaments and i did that to him uh and that was kind of funny um so i ended up losing in the other tournament that i played in to palkia ice rider bibberol um cross switcher is just Still really annoying to deal with uh, if you, you know, if you whiff or if they go first, it's really hard to deal with. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think the deck is pretty strong overall, like going, going first, you're just pretty favored against most things. Uh, even going second against most Arceus decks, you're still pretty good because they can't, they can't one shot you, even if they boss and hit your Dialga. So if that happens, what you usually do is ideally you'll boss a basic Arceus and V-star it and KO it and then boss the Arceus V-star back up and then one-shot it. And then you're still kind of in the same spot you would have been. And then you can, if they do end up KOing, oftentimes if you do that, then they can't even deal with the initial Dialga V-star that you had and then you'll just win the game. Uh, but even if they do, you can usually set up a Zacian to win the game. And Echoing Horn actually might be pretty good in the deck as well um, to kind of like take your last uh, two prizes at some point. Um, so, yeah. And uh, I can kind of like segue that into like day one versus day two. I am quite, 
interested in Dialga. If I was playing in day one, I would be much more interested in Dialga than if I was just playing day two. Um, I think some of the characteristics of decks that can be quite successful in day one are decks that don't tie, don't have to worry about tying at all. Um, and Dialga is not going to tie. Like you're not an Italian deck. You have one or two really long turns and then every turn is very quick after that. Um, the games are short. Even if you, even if you don't win a game, the game is going to be short because you're going to know on turn three that, you know, you're, you're just not going to get there. Or, you know, your opponent's playing Palkia and they go first and they get the cross switcher turn two on your Dialga. You can just scoop it up, go to the next game. It's fine. It doesn't matter. Um, I think stall decks, control decks are significantly weaker on day one. They have not had a very good track record of success because they're so prone to tying. Their game plan is basically win game one and then hope game two does not finish, which is a fine strategy, but you're not going to win game one all the time. Uh, so I don't think there's going to be that much milk tank. So I think you can basically not play milk tank counters. Like you could play one in Dialga, but it just makes the deck worse. Um, so I think that Dialga has that going for it. Uh, and being able to just take two losses is also good. Like a deck like Dialga, as I said, if you go first, you're incredibly favored. And you're not going to go first every time, but you kind of play the odds a little bit. You go first more than you go second. You're going to win more games than you lose. And hopefully you only go second two times and lose those. And like you have to go second and your opponent has to have really good turn ones. Um, so I don't know. All of those things leads me to believe that Dialga could be a pretty good play day one. I don't, do I think it's like the absolute best play? Probably not, but I just think it's, uh, it, it, it hasn't been talked about that much. And I think it's a pretty good deck. Uh, you know, I think in, in the same vein, I, I should ask you guys about a couple of other decks that I feel like are, like, objectively good decks that people aren't talking about. Uh, uh, Britt, you mentioned, like, Flying Pikachu. I mean, is that... Are, are tons of people going to play that? Or is everyone going to just play Vanilla, Arceus, and Talion? Yeah, I mean, I don't know why you would really play... I mean, I guess to answer my own question, like... They have such similar matchups. The things that the Pikachu is good against, like, just aren't relevant currently. And, like, that's the thing, though. I mean, the Pikachu is still good, you know, it's also good against Palkia, but it just doesn't seem as reliable as, like, the Inteleon stuff does. And just kind of playing the defensive game rather than, like, an offensive one, you can just, like, you know, if they kill the Pikachu early or something like that, you're, you're probably just in a really bad spot. So you don't, you, I can't remember his list off the top of my head, but I would wager you, you don't play as many Sharon's Care. And like, some people even play two Palpad, like specifically for the mirror. Um, naturally, you can't keep up with that stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, so on a related note, uh, Blissey, uh, will people play Blissey? So I think Blissey fits a lot of the same things that I was just saying about Dialga as well. You know, it's it's an aggressive deck. It's pretty fast. It's not going to tie very often. Um, right. It was objectively tier one, like the day before an AIC. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Um, people are not really playing Starmie. 
right? Like, and that was, I think, a big... No one's playing Starmie, right? Yeah, and I think that was a big reason why... We talked about this, I think, like, it wasn't that... It didn't do that good in NAIC because people played Starmie and people played less Blissey because they were scared of Starmie. Um, And Starmie is just completely gone right now, so... I don't know. Yeah, I think Blissey could be okay. Uh, Duraludon? I think that deck sucks still. <laughs> yeah, All right. Uh, and I suppose <laughs> I should ask, will will people play Lunatone? Or or is that is that meme just dead? No, it, it's like doesn't even exist anymore. Like people aren't even talking about it, I don't think. Like it's it had its moment. It sucked. We've moved yeah. on. Yeah, I think any world caliber player will n- not do that. <laughs> yeah, no, nobody wants to put their their uh, fate in the hands of that deck, right? Yeah, and that's kind of how I feel about um, Duraludon too. There will be a couple people that play Duraludon, but it's such a it like much more so than any other deck in the format. It's like, what do I draw? What did I draw? for my turn like did i did i hit the double turbo energy hyper potion off my research oh no i didn't okay i lose immediately <laughs> right right well you know i mean like i recognize uh um i mean there you know there's a collection of players that are well known for like when they tweet their loss they're like you know terrible hands blah 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 never got to play the game but, like people that play that they don't get to complain because they knew what they're getting into right yeah, right, right, the, right. the RCS and Teleon players, you're like, oh, yeah, they must have drawn really bad hands to somehow uh, uh, lose because, like, they can never just objectively lose. Yeah. The deck's too good. Yeah. The thing that's interesting about Worlds is that everyone's good. So there's not that many people playing like these random, like, tier two or tier three decks because. Like why they're kind of like, I, you know, I just should play the best decks on the flip side of that though, is that everyone's also trying to beat the best decks. So you will play against random janky decks that are like designed to beat the top decks. But like, I feel like something like a Lunatone Solrock, Arceus Duraldon, like those are just like not great decks and no good player wants to play them. Britt, you're cracking up. Why are you laughing? Oh, I I just had a a, a reaction to every everyone at Worlds is good. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, oh, I don't think that's true. <laughs> okay, well, I'll rephrase that. The percentage of good players is much higher than at, oh yes, it's like a regional. The, the highest, the highest possible, to be sure. Yeah, right, right, right. There you go. <laughs> Uh, so so this, this actually uh, is, is a great segue into the other question I wanted to ask you, which is like, uh, you've talked a little about day one strategies on uh, Lake of Rage pod, but right. uh, uh, do you guys have any thoughts on what people should think if uh, they're playing in the London Open? I mean, there's going to be a lot of people playing in the London Open, right? And most of those people will have done not as well at Worlds as they wanted to. I wouldn't say most people, though. I think most of the London Open will be totally non-Worlds competitors. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, obviously, uh, like, 60 to 80 to 85% of, like, day one competitors, plus 90% of day two competitors, plus 
uh, you know, 70% of one and up of people that are like just people showing up to play in a regionals. Right. Uh, um, but like, will will those people just play whatever the craziest, spiciest thing that's going to be in like the asymmetric cut that's going on concurrently to that is? Or like, will they play the deck that they've been testing? Will we see like an explosion of Lunatone? No. I wouldn't be surprised if, the, sorry, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's like Lunatone in that tournament because there are people that are just going to show up with whatever deck they're going to play anyway. Um, yeah, but I think I, it'll be a good mix. For the London Open, I would, I would say it will probably be like fairly reactionary. Like if there's anything spicy in day one or day two, like it, it'll be overplayed, I think, like. I wouldn't say it was overplayed, but I remember 2018 was like that. Like Rayquaza was kind of a big deck. Like, you know, we got top four in the main event, but it like it wasn't on a lot of people's radar, but then it did, it did quite well in the open sort of following that, like seeing, Oh, it's a real deck. We can, we can play this now and, and things like that. Um, yeah. I mean, differences, obviously some differences between like day one and day two, I would just say, you know, as some like personal experience, like I really like, be, re- be willing to switch decks, I think, because I like the the one year I had to play day one and made it through, I was just like so tired and just like changed one card. And I, I really just sort of like, not a lot, like uh, I, don't lie, I don't lie awake at night thinking about this, but like kind of kick myself just like, I think if I had made a couple more choices, um, like I might've made top eight, like that was, that was the world that came really close. And I think if I had just like thought about it for 10 more seconds and realized I should have teched a little more for Greninja, like maybe it would have been it. And so, yeah, uh, on that note, like don't get too locked into your choice. Like it, it could still be the right play, like the same 60 for sure, but just scrutinize, be a little critical and just like be open to something else potentially. And I guess, you know, all that to say, pre- be practicing multiple decks too potentially because like i don't know like i i think there's there's fringe decks like i mean we we saw we saw it in milwaukee like the right meta games can yield a blissy Duraldon on finals again um so you, you always you always gotta sort of just be thinking a step or two ahead anything else I do. I thought of something in the meantime. This is something I, I think it was actually like one of the very first six prizes articles that I wrote. Um, and not not to say that people are actively trying to be disprove it, but I haven't really found good reasoning for it either. And anyways, in that article, I like wrote about sort of this notion that I think that all players want to win. Um, and I think that's regardless of if you're competitive or not. And so I just sort of have beef with this just like, some people just want to play, you know, fun decks. We shouldn't be mean, you know. I think this was sort of this was sort of reactionary to John Ang saying that uh, Palkia Ice Rider is bad, and it was just like, oh no, we should be nice. And I'm like, I, you know, obviously that's true, but like the people playing the fun decks don't want to lose. Like, <laughs> so like it's like there's nothing more fun than winning. But it's, it's, it's so, so, so more often than not, it just creates these scenarios, these sort of psychological, like it's psychologically manipulative, manipulative in the sense that you just can't lose. Right. I was like, oh, I'm playing, I'm playing a fun deck. Oh, I did bad. You know what? Expect I'm playing a fun deck. But if I did well, look at me, I'm doing well with a fun deck. And, you know, it's the same thing for people who are just like, oh, I bombed a tournament again. That's what I get for 
switching decks at the, you know, at 4am again, contrastingly, like, look at how great of a player I am. I switched deck at 4am. It's going well. And so I just, all that to say that, like, whether you're playing for fun or not, like, I don't think that really changes um, any part of the narrative. And so it's just so, so like defeatist or like, just, just plain manipulative, I think, to just be like, ah, oh, the fun people are just playing for fun. And like, I don't think that's true. Like they want to win, you know, perhaps not to the same degree, but I think like inherently you don't, you don't want to lose regardless of sort of where you're coming at the game from. It's yeah. You, you could be uh, saying, well, I'm, I'm happier going 07 playing the deck that I wanted to play versus the 07 I would have gone playing like tier one deck. But like what really make you happy is being like seven and up, right? Right. Yeah, I guess I guess I guess I'm what I'm what I'm harping on is just people are just lying, basically. Like it's just you know, creating these 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 situations where you can't lose. Uh, it's just like not being honest with yourself, I don't think. And it's just like, oh, you can you can play, you can play for fun and play to win at the same time. They're not they're not mutually exclusive. And that also that, that comes up a lot of the times too. And people, you know, you have that certain like class or archetype of players that are just like shaking their fist at the at the good cards all day long, just being like, those cards are too good. It's not fun. I will only play the bad cards. Like but, but you would want to win with the bad cards. Like in theory, you, again, you don't play these games with the intention to lose, regardless of where you're coming from. You might expect to lose, but that's different than having intent. Right, right. I think that's a really good point. Like expectation versus intent. Yeah, yeah I, I, I uh, uh, was uh, completely unoffended by John's tweet. And like, I take offense to a lot of John's I mean, I don't think people people are were or like any, if, if, if any of that stuff truly was reactionary, like like I'm saying, you just need to get with the times. This is how kids talk. Like they're not trying to be mean spirited or anything. Like, I mean, maybe they are, but you know, inherently a lot of, you know, we're usually doing things like that. We're so driven by competition and perfunctory identity and so on. Exactly. Exactly. Guys, actually, the one other thing we could talk about really quickly is obviously they announced all the casters today for Worlds. Oh, yeah. There is an army of casters. I really yeah. think people who watch the stream are in for a show. Yeah. Like, yeah. it seems like they have a plans to do, like, more analysts, more post-game interviews, more, like, you know, like, uh, uh, like detailed coverage besides just the, like, watching the games. And their plans to do some sort of like weird asymmetric cut day three. Like there's going to be more rounds to watch from top players. Like there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Okay. I just counted. So there's 27 casters. Uh, one of them is Anna Proser, who I guess is just like the MC for mm -hmm. the event. Um, and so this, this includes VGC, TCG, Unite, and go. go. Okay. 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 Um, and so I think I counted six TCG people. Right? Yeah. We got Ross and Joe from Europe. We have Puka and Hegster. And then we got Boo and uh, Adam Watson, Skarzik. Okay. Yeah. Right. So like six casters, that's a lot of coverage. Couldn't tell. That's a lot. Like it looked like a like an esports event. So the way they like announced, you know, their huge cast for like a, a whole variety of games. You know, great to see Puka. Pokemon Unite. Oh, he is a Unite. Yeah. 
I'm probably seeing it like secondhand if you follow Kirk or something like that, like retweets or something. You might just see the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Kirk being on there is really cool. As a you know, as not TCG commentator, as a Unite commentator, I know he's been doing a lot over the last couple of years, but it's still really cool to uh, see that transition. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So it just seems it seems like uh, uh, I mean maybe. Maybe it's always been like this and I haven't noticed, but it's just an army of people. Like they're really bringing uh, a lot of manpower to bear to make sure that the tournament is absolutely awesome. So I'm expecting a top-notch stream experience that will absolutely blow the doors off people's uh, uh, brains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pumped. I'm pumped to be able to, even though I won't be there, I'm pumped to be able to experience it that way. And you guys could still opt to like go do the London Open in the last minute. <laughs> I mean, I've thought about it. Andy Gray messages me about flights uh, very consistently. I just like uh... <laughs> is Andy Gray like the secret flight machine? Does he have like all the sneaky tricks? I no, see. he just I would say he just loves planes, loves to travel, works, works, works on airlines. It's just his 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 passion in life. Um, yeah, I don't think he has any like secrets that aren't sort of common knowledge, um, but he's always doing goofy stuff like, you know, flying standby everywhere and things like that. It's like, that's not for me. <laughs> you're, you're willing to just hang around in an airport for like six hours? Nah, not so much. I remember, it, I guess, back back on the conversation of Hawaii, the Jim and Grafton roll because they that was they Jim qualified for worlds that year in masters, which was really cool. I think Grafton was still a junior even, uh, or maybe he had just aged up. They got all the way to Hawaii on standby. And it was just like, <laughs> cra the craziest thing. I, I think I've seen people do. <laughs> I mean, really you've got great. the patience. You definitely, it's definitely like, I think probably a little more realistic than a lot of people think, but it's just patience more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. That would stress me out too much, man. That's what I mean. I get stressed out on on what I have booked. They could all just be canceled on a dime. Insane. All right. <laughs> the John Pauls are our outro. It's great to be back, guys. Yeah, that was a good one. All right. Cool.